It's my privilege to introduce our guest pastor, Jimmy. Come on up here. Jimmy Hahn, Reverend Jimmy Hahn, is, is preaching to us this morning. Uh, he's returning the favor of Pastor Scott, who I think was in your church a month or three ago. Jimmy, is that right? Yeah. And you and Scott have gotten acquainted. You and I are well acquainted with each other. I consider Jimmy one of my friends. He is... Uh, part of the leadership team at our classes. In fact, he chairs the executive team. That's a very important committee in our classes. And Jimmy does it well. In fact, it's worth coming to the meetings just to hear his opening devotionals that he does when we start our meetings. And well, you I have no choice. You have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy is the pastor of Good News Chapel in Walnut, California. You live in Berea. Um, and you've mentioned you have a wife. I do. And two children. That's important to have first before. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you have said to me that you pastor a church where you are the oldest. I am. Or nearly so in I your am. church. I am. Now, I, I've just had a birthday yesterday. I got a year older. I'm a bit older than you. I'm not nearly the oldest in this congregation. <laughs> But to look at you, you're probably 35 or 20 or something like that. You, no? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's something to be ministering to a congregation um, as you do. And you can maybe say a little bit more about what that congregation sure. looks like. Sure. I just want to offer a prayer. Yes, as please. Seek the Lord's blessing. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for Reverend Han. And thank you for his ministry, both in his local congregation and also um, in, the, in the regional setting. And we just praise him for the work that he does in those places, but also as he brings your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Will. Well, good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. Um, Scott actually came and visited and spoke at our church, and Scott and I have been talking about sharing pulpits for a while. Um, and uh, he spoke in July as I was on vacation, and as uh, he told me that he'd be away this weekend, he asked if I could come and share the word here. Uh, the river has always been uh, in a distant affection of my heart, partly because of Will, and then eventually because Scott is also serving on the executive team with me, and uh, I've known Scott during the few years that he was here. In fact, I had the privilege to actually interview him during his exam as he entered into the Christian Reformed Church, and uh, it was a great privilege. Uh, Scott was... Uh, is, is a dynamic and enthusiastic kind of guy. Um, every time he comes and shares with me, I, my eyeballs just open up, <laughs> especially at the volume in which he speaks. <laughs> uh, obviously, your laughter affirms my, my own uh, impressions. Um, as Will shared, um, Good News Chapel, we just celebrated last weekend our 13th anniversary. Uh, we spent 10 of our years in, uh, under the umbrella of a mother church who launched us. It's a Korean-American church. It's an immigrant church community that speaks Korean. And I've served alongside the first-generation church, the immigrant church community of the Korean church, for about 25 years. Um, for the last three years, we've launched out on our own. We've been worshiping in Diamond Bar High School. Uh, we were just exploring what it means to be an Asian church that's actually wanting to be a larger reflection of our community. Uh, the interesting thing is Diamond Bar is actually 54% Asian, so we fit right along that, that line. <laughs> um, when I come here, I, I come here with uh, a, a, a word of, I guess, hello and greetings from our church, Good News Chapel. Um, 
And uh, I'm, I find it a great privilege when I get a chance to go and speak at any church and any fellowship, partly because you're God's children. And I get to meet children of royalty. And what a privilege that is to come and speak to you uh, the word that has not only transformed my heart, but I believe yours as well. I know Will has prayed for us, but if I can just ask for the, the word blessing, if you could just bow your head with me, I'd love to uh, lead us in that time. God, thank you so much for the river. Thank you for a church that has stood for many years as a place of, of the good news of Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for the leadership, for the elders, for the deacons, and for the many men and women and children who love you and worship you here. May this church be a continual beacon of light and hope in this community. And may the word and the worship be honoring to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, recently... Um, I, I was infatuated with a particular TV show called Kitchen Nightmares with Chef Gordon Ramsay. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this show. It's actually on cable. It's not the most Christian show you'd want to watch because there's some language that are shared that are not very reflective of our faith. However, this particular show caught my attention because the purpose of this show was to have this chef, this entrepreneurial chef who's actually opened many restaurants, to come and be a, kind of a a mentor or an advisor um, to a restaurant that's about to just close its doors. And, the way, and every time it comes in, there's always something that's not working. And usually it's either the owner or the chef or the person happens to be both. And uh, he has to come in and give a consultation about what he sees. And the struggle is that he has to give a brutal, honest evaluation of what is not working at this restaurant. Everything from the ambiance, the menu, to ultimately the food. And usually the restaurant is in danger because it's the main way they make business, which is to have food. And if your food is bad, your restaurant will die. Well, what's interesting is that I'm not really a food person. I'm not a foodie. Uh, I don't look up restaurants and, and I don't follow food shows or cooking shows. What captivated me about this show is that it was about people. And what this... What Chef Gordon Ramsay did was he actually went in and tried to open the eyes of the owner and the chef to realize you're the problem. And if you don't realize you're the problem, this restaurant is going to die. And the change begins with you. And uh, as I was watching this show and fascinated about the human element, I began to reflect and ask, am I really aware of my own flaws? Am I really aware of... What, what is perhaps hindrances or weaknesses or maybe even the areas where I'm blinded to see about who I am in my own character, in my own lifestyle, my own leadership. Recently, we just finished a, uh, a year-long consultation with a uh, consultant and coach, and one of the tools that we used was called a Berkman 360. Now, Berkman is one of those personality evaluations, but it's a lot more deeper and uh, my friend who uh, did this process with me said that it is the Cadillac of personality evaluations. And, uh, and he used that term old because these days, who knows what a Cadillac is? But anyway, <laughs> but uh, it's a th- Berkman 360 was basically uh, an evaluation that came back to me from 12 people who've worked very close with me or are currently working very closely with me. 
And the instruction he gave them as they did this evaluation on me was to be brutally honest. And then once the evaluation was done, I was given a folder that had all the uh, feedback and the information. I looked at it, and I didn't open it for two weeks. (laughs) And he asked me, did you read it? And I said, nope. He said, are you going to read it? I said, nope. (laughs) Um, I was honestly, I was afraid to open it. He said, you know, you got to read it. And I said, yep. He said, are you going to read it? I said, nope. (laughs) Well, eventually, obviously, we paid for it, so I got to read it. (laughs) And as I read through it, I have to admit, uh, our our church, our leadership, even my closest friends who I've worked with, uh, they were both kind and very brutally honest. It was very helpful. And it was helpful in the sense that I wanted to see what others saw. During this time, I realized that I also want to see what God saw. Because ultimately, human opinion can only take us thus far. But what God says of us, what he thinks of us, is very, very important. In fact, it is the ultimate of opinions. We all live with imperfections. We're painfully aware that we fall short in one way or another. And people have a way of, uh, I guess, making that very evident to us. Some of the people in our lives are sometimes more honest than we like. And we try to stay away from those people because we don't like to hear some of the negative feedback. And for others, they actually look forward to it in a tempered, loving context, which is healthy. We all want to have a hope. We all want to believe something better about ourselves. And wanting to talk about the good news oftentimes is a wonderful thing. But the question today is, are we willing to talk about the whole news? Because the gospel exposes the depths of man's sinfulness and exalts the power of God, the authority and the majesty of God's holiness. Let's face it, marketing-wise, the message of love sells. Hell doesn't. If you mention hell and sin, it turns people off. And there's a strong temptation within not only current churches, but within churches that minister to a younger generation where we want to talk about things that work, things that are happening, things that are good. But the reality is, before you can hear the good news, we have to also be able to hear the bad news, the real news. And today I want us to look at um, a passage where the Apostle Paul um, gives a charge to Pastor Timothy. And he gives him the task to bring a sense of correction to the church at Ephesus. A major part of that was dealing with the false teachers that Timothy was addressing and combating at his church. And they were presented with the false gospel so that Paul, through his testimony, would share the true gospel. The law could never bring salvation, as Paul taught. Rather, it brings a conviction of our sin and the need of grace. And so Paul's testimony is significant in that it contrasts the beauty of the true gospel with the emptiness of the false doctrines. And the charge that is given to Timothy is that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with the false teaching and the false doctrines. The people were devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And with this, he calls Timothy to really be a, a herald of truth. And he also calls Timothy to wage the good warfare by holding on to the true faith and a good conscience. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for us to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. I think this is very appropriate in the season of Thanksgiving. It begins with the words, I thank him. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I apologize. I know your church uses the NIV. Our church uses the ESV. And I, I wrote my sermon according to that text. So I, I'm just reading the ESV version. I'm sure as you read along, you hear the message of Paul's story. The way Paul describes his calling, his ministry, as well as his identity in Christ. And I want us to be very clear this morning. If there's a central summation that I would love for us to remember as we think about this message is this. By God's grace, we are saved, able to serve, and share the gospel. Amen? Amen. And through this very central thought that Paul, uh, Paul gives through his story and his testimony, I want us to learn about God's amazing grace that saves Sinners like us. Now, that's a term that we don't like to refer to ourselves by because we're children of God now. But we were saved as sinners. And that's something that helps us to embrace the need of Christ every day. We also want to remember that God's amazing grace allows us the privilege to serve him in ministry. And lastly, that we want to learn that God's amazing grace is our witness to the world. I want us to first look at what Paul says in verse 15. Verse 15 is a central summation of what he wants to say. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. I mean, that's that's his purpose statement. That is that summation. Here is a trustworthy saying that not only must we remember, but we must continually take our heart and our mind to that place of beginnings that place of identity change, that place where we found hope. And what Paul says, as he says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, he says, of whom I am, the foremost, the chief, the protos, the very first. I don't know your story, and I don't know how you came to Christ. Each of us has a story of what God has done in our life. To bring, him to, to bring us to himself. And when you share your story with others, you're going to have to recount where you were, what happened, and what really changed. For Paul, he began to re- recount who he was. And this is the way he, de- he recounts and describes who he was before he met Christ. In verse 13, he says, Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. 
And this is the way he described himself, a blasphemer. That's what he called Christians during that day. He said, how dare you speak against the God of our, of our faith? That you would dare to say that someone, a mere man, could be your God. That was blasphemy in the eyes of Jewish theology. He was a persecutor. He was devoted to an incredible cause that he thought was absolutely right. That he wanted to imprison and persecute those who were speaking such false, false theology and doctrine. He was an insolent opponent. Opponent to, unbeknownst to him at the time, God himself. He thought he was fighting for God and truth. But instead, he found himself to actually be an opponent of God. Paul knew that he was a sinner. His religion, his theology, his understanding was wrong about Jesus. Even though he was a, 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 an incredible student of, of theology and scripture, he had missed the point. And here to Paul, which was then Saul, Jesus at the time was a heretic. And all those who followed him were blasphemers. But upon meeting the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul realized that the true one that was blind was himself. He was blind not only to God, but to, God, but to his truth. And so God sent a man named Ananias to go and pray for Paul so that he could see again. And in Acts 9, it's recorded what Ananias said to God, which is really understandable because at this time, Paul was not only persecuting the Christians, he was actually imprisoning them, and some of them would actually face death. And so when Ananias answers the Lord, he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. He says, basically, Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to go to this man and pray for him? Uh, this guy's trouble. The Lord's response was, go, for he is a chosen instrument an instrument of mine to carry, out, carry my name to the Gentiles, to the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And the rest of the story is that Ananias actually goes and prays for the, for the man who was trying to imprison and persecute Ananias. This is a story of a holy confrontation. The gospel is not about how it makes me feel. As much as I'm loved and understand that there is a confrontation between a holy God and a sinner standing under judgment. Remember, our first and greatest need before God is not to be loved, but to be forgiven. That the love is a consequence of the fact that we are forgiven in Christ. That our first need from Him Although, humanly speaking, what our hearts and souls long for is to be loved, the reality is this relationship, in order to receive that love, must first find forgiveness and reconciliation before God. Yes, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Yes, God came wrapped in a package of man, in the person of Jesus Christ, but without forgiveness. One will not and cannot enter into God's love. It is how he has demonstrated it. It is what he said was required to understand it. 
And it is our response of repentance and faith that allows us to experience and to meet God in his forgiveness and in his holiness. Now, Paul knew that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's what he declares. And to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And church, I want to just remind you and encourage you today that in the landscape of Christianity, both in the Western culture as well as the Eastern culture, and what I mean by that is every challenge that is being faced in every part of the spheres of, of this globe is that there is a temptation to constantly meet man at his own desperate needs of his environment, whether it's to feed him, to clothe him, to care for him, to bring him clean water, to rescue those in human trafficking, and all the various humanitarian needs that we may have compassion for. But at the end of the day, if you feed him, clothe him, give him clean water, and give him a safe place to sleep, the fact of the matter is that every person still dies. And the only answer to that problem is the name Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. And if we do the first without, with, and, and forget the latter, if we do the first and forget the significance of the message that comes behind, underneath, around, and above, then we're missing the point. Because we're not the saviors. We're only the messengers. We're only the hands and feet of an amazing God who came to take care of the one humanitarian problem that you and I can never solve. But it is only, be, it is only solvable by God himself. It's important for us not to forget that the problem of sin was really, really bad. It wasn't just missing the mark. It wasn't just being off track a little bit. I mean, we were really in a lot of trouble. And the way we begin to embrace the power of the gospel and what God has done to save sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the foremost. The reason why worshiping Christ and the reason why his name is sweet on our lips is because the counterpart is so true. Because my sin was so horrendous. The gap was so wide. And, and what I could not cover by myself, it is Christ who came to fill an incredible eternal gap between me and a holy God. To know how bad it was is to take a good long look at the cross. And if I may say so, to be even horrified at the agony, the pain, the loneliness, the separation the depths of suffering that Jesus had to endure on our behalf. If we forget this, then the weight of what was done for us will be so lightened that it becomes nothing more than a message that helps me in my life. The message of the gospel is not something that betters my life or strengthens my life or gives me a better tomorrow. It is the foundational definition of what life is. That we were dead without Christ. That only in Christ are we made anew and alive in him. Alive not just physically, but spiritually. I don't know if many of you, I'm sure many of you did, as, as many churches did during the time when Mel Gibson released the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And one of the reasons why that movie was so difficult to watch for many Christians is because we understood what was about to be seen for that entire week of Passion Week. And 
that the scene of his suffering, everything from his beating, his journey to the, to the, uh, to the hill of Golgotha, and to eventually watch him be crucified, it was just one of the most painful things to watch. And the way he did it was to try to research what he believed was as accurate a rendition of what the cross looked like during the day of Christ. And it's one of those things that it was hard for me to watch, and I couldn't watch without just being in tears. And what moved my soul most, most deeply was the fact that he did that for me. But not only did he do that for me, but he did that place. He was there. He hung. He died. He paid the incredible price. How bad was my sin? It was that bad. And it was that glorious. Recently, um, there were some articles that were released uh, that I, were, I was reading on, on some different posts on social media about Bart Campolo. Now, some of us know of his father, Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo was one of those Baptist ministers that was very vibrant and dynamic in speaking. And uh, his son, Bart Campolo, was also following in his father's footsteps. And he had an incredible outreach ministry uh, where he was located. And... Uh, Recently, Bart Campolo, the son of Tony Campolo, declared himself a humanist and no longer calls himself a Christian. He announced that he is an agnostic humanist. And his struggles were listed as follows. First of all, he had a struggle reconciling the sovereignty of God in an evil world. The problem of evil in a world created by an all-powerful, all-good, loving God, and how could God allow such atrocities and evils to exist? As he reflected on his journey away from God, he remembered this moment in, in an inner-city ministry in near Philadelphia where a girl had been raped at the age of nine. And uh, Her Sunday school teacher said to her, God could have stopped the act, but allowed it for a reason. And he just thought, what a horrible thing to say to a little girl. He could not reconcile that God could have done something, and he didn't. He struggled with the authority of Scripture. In the face of good people, good people that he knew, who rejected the Bible's view of sin and lifestyle, he couldn't reconcile the fact that these people were going to be facing the judgment of God. While he was in college at Hartford College, one of his roommates, a close friend, came out as being gay. And though he was an evangelical Christian at the time, he made a decision to repudiate and to reject certain Bible verses that spoke negatively about homosexuality. And he said this, quote, I decided I was going to make room for gay people in my theology, and I became very open about the fact that I would ignore certain Bible verses and underline others. His last part that he ultimately will struggle with, obviously, is the fact that he couldn't accept the fact that some people were going to go to heaven and others were going to go to hell. And therefore, he embraced the theology of universalism, which is the hope that everyone will somehow be saved. No one's going to go to hell. And he said, I was only interested in a God who would save everybody. It didn't matter that the Bible had some verses that said something different. You see, the initial draw for Bart was the fact that it was a wonderful community. And he loved the fact that common people had a common purpose to promote justice and to transform the world. 
But when he came to, in confrontation with the holy God, the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of judgment and, God, and God's holiness and wrath, it made no sense to him. And that's not why he became a Christian. And therefore, ultimately, he had no conclusion other than to reject God, Scripture, and even his own faith. This is the dilemma that we're doing ministry in, my brothers and sisters, and I want us to understand that in no way do I want to, and I believe we want to, impart a message that is hateful. But how can we embrace the love of God when we don't know the backdrop of the holiness of God? How can we understand the depths of what Christ did for us on the cross if we don't understand the pain and the darkness of the sin that he came to reconcile us from? It is this amazing grace that he, Paul didn't deserve, that I didn't deserve, that you and I didn't deserve, that he received. And that's why he says this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And so God's amazing grace saves sinners. We can't be ashamed to say that. The second thing is that God's amazing grace allows us the privilege to serve him in his ministry. In verse 12, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Is there anyone who has the giftedness or the authority or is worthy to represent God? None that I know of, including yours truly. God's grace is given to strengthen and empower and enable men and women to serve him in ministry. Not because of our gifts alone, not because of our talents, but because we receive the grace of God to actually be able to be appointed and given the privilege to be able to serve. The strength to do ministry flows from the grace that was given us at salvation and that every day as we reflect on the fact that God has saved someone who was so unworthy and now given a privilege to serve Almighty God, what an amazing privilege and honor it is. Again, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What I was was undeserving. What I'm now able to do is but by the grace of God. I visited India in 1995. It was my first time in India. And that was a hard journey. <laughs> if you've never been to India, and this is now almost a decade and a half ago, it was a real, uh, what am I saying? More than two decades. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little lost. My first journey there was uh, really scary because, um, one, the traveling was going to be uh, really difficult. The food was not going to be easy, and all the living ex experiences were going to be real challenging. But even beyond that, what was really challenging was the spiritual battle that I'd faced. And what happened was we were actually traveling. We took a bus ride to this one particular region, a group of people that had rejected Christianity and had martyred Christian missionaries for 200 years. 
And finally, a church building was going to be built. A small church had started. Some people had become Christian. And the missionary and our team was going to go there for the inauguration service of this first building. And as we went to this region, we went into this small room where a few women were praying. Now, we're, I had took a bunch of college students, about 16 of them. And, you know, college students, as we, after we get off the bus, after a three-hour bus ride, what do they want? They want to play and goof around, and they're joking and laughing. And here are these women praying in the corner, and I'm watching them praying, and I'm watching our students just goof around and make a lot of noise and being rude. And, you know, as Asians, we don't, we don't be rude. We, we, can, we can't be making noise and while people are praying. That's just so bad. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, my temper is just rising. And I'm just getting so angry. And I'm just sitting there going, how long is it going to take for them to realize that these women are praying? You know? And I just sat there and watched. And I got so angry and so angry. And I said, and so after a while, I said, everyone, come here. (laughs) Come here. Come here. And I told them my side. I said, do you see those women praying? How dare you be so loud? Can you have no respect? And I I just went off on them. They just shook their head. And they're just like, oh, my God, we're so sorry. We didn't realize. And I was just, I was just yelling at them. And then after I finished my tirade, I was, so, I was so angry and I was so disappointed in myself. And I was like, God, what kind of leader am I? What kind of leader am I? I said, you, there's so many more people that you could use more wiser and smarter than I. And I just, I hung my head and I said, I'm so unworthy. And you know what I heard in that moment of prayer? I heard in my heart, I, I heard, yes, you are unworthy. <laughs> You've never been worthy to do this. It's only by my grace that you do this. One of the toughest audiences at my church every Sunday is a woman named Jennifer Hahn. She sits oftentimes in the front left side of the worship room. One of the reasons why I said it's the toughest audience is because if we had an argument Saturday night, or maybe even on a Sunday morning. And then I have to go up and preach the word of God. I'll tell you, that is the hardest face to look down upon. That's why I often look to the back. <laughs> I keep my focus to the back. I won't even make eye contact up here. Because when I look down sometimes, I see the face of this woman looking at me going, you hypocrite. <laughs> Can I be very frank with you? It is the hardest thing for a preacher to look down at his wife after an argument and have to stand up here and talk about godliness, holiness, love of Christ. And, but I want you to understand that if I stood up here because I thought I was worthy, I would be delusional. I don't know one man or woman who stands in the name of God who is worthy to utter his name, but we are allowed by the sheer grace that has saved us and called us. When Paul says, I thank God, though I was formerly this, it is but by the grace that was shown me in Jesus Christ that he has been appointed to do the work that was given to him. Because God's amazing grace saves sinners like us, because God's amazing grace allows us the privilege to serve Him in ministry, the third thing that I want us to remember and see from this passage is that God's amazing grace is our witness to the world. Now, I know that's simple to say if you just say it that way, but listen to the way that Paul talks about this. He says in verse 16, I receive mercy for this reason. 
For what reason? This is the purpose statement now. That in me, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What the reality is, just as Ananias had heard about this guy, and now he has gone to go and pray for him, what Ananias witnessed was the amazing grace of God that would allow someone who was an insolent opponent, a persecutor, now being called a servant of God. And what he, what he saw was the mercy. And what he witnessed is this perfect patience of God to call someone like Saul to become the Apostle Paul. In his justice, he should have struck down Saul on that road. By his mercy, he let him live and actually called him to service. I don't think that's any different from any one of us. By the holiness of God, every one of us stood condemned. By the mercy of God, we've been saved and now called to be men and women who would be examples through whom God would share the message of hope and salvation. The message to the world is not look at me, see what Jesus did for me. He can do the same for you. That's been the message for the longest time. It's one of the reasons why the non-Christian world constantly looks at the church and looks for perfection. That every time a minister falls in sin, any time a church goes through a split, when they realize how sinful we are, they say, see, you guys stink just as much as we do. Because the wrong message went out. The church is not perfect. In fact, what this gathering is, is a gathering of imperfect, broken people who are saved by the only perfect person we've ever known, and his name is Jesus. And that the witness to the world is, hey, man, I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of sin in my life. I'm not perfect. And the reason, what, the reason why I can call myself a Christian is not because I'm better than you, but because I have just as many struggles as you may have, only I have been forgiven. I have been redeemed. And now I have a new purpose in my life and a new direction to which I choose to follow that I want to share with you. And I'm not perfect, and this road is not perfect. There's only one perfection I know, and that's going to come when he comes with the one who is the true and perfect one. The power and hope of the gospel is not the amazing me, but the amazing Jesus Christ. There are many reasons why people are afraid to share the truth, the whole truth of the gospel. Partly because it's an offensive message. The fact of the matter is, the gospel is filled with words that if we speak the whole truth can be quite offensive. The fact that the person that we're addressing needs Jesus Christ Not just his love, but his forgiveness. That we've lost sight of the fact that what we're trying to do sometimes is not just to be winsome, or to be popular, or to be relatable, but our purpose and the commission that was given to every church was to speak the truth in as much loving compassion as you can, but to speak the truth. And we can't be ashamed of it. And although we wish it wasn't true, as man, as a human being, 
man, message of love sells real well. But I haven't been appointed to just speak about God's love, but also about God's holiness. And therefore, I, I have to remind myself, and I want to come here and encourage you to remember and to allow your, your ministers to continue to speak the truth in as loving and kind way as possible, but also to speak the truth. You know, Kevin DeYoung says, at the heart of the Protestant faith is a conviction that there is nothing we contribute to our salvation but our sin. No merit we bring but Christ and nothing necessary for justification except faith alone. And there's nothing that we can bring to add, to help, to make better. It's just simply what it is. We just need to deliver that message and trust God for the effects. And there are times when I want to cross that line and help God along a little bit. Make it sound a little nicer. Talk about something a little different. When the fact of the matter is, our deepest need for Jesus Christ is not for a better tomorrow. I need to be saved. I'm facing the judgment of God. And without Jesus Christ, I will perish. It's not an easy message to share. There are a lot of different ways we can talk about it. But one thing I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, is to remember, as Paul remembered, in the light of false doctrines in the church at Ephesus, the true gospel is that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of which he declared was, he was the foremost. And there are some people who would say, you know, Jim, I don't have Paul's testimony. I don't have a road to Damascus experience. Well, that, that may be true. But we do have a testimony in which we all needed a savior and we all received the amazing grace of God together so I want to encourage you during this Thanksgiving to give thanks to God for the gospel message I want to encourage you to think about your story and how you would share it what would you thematically say is central to your story and then how would you describe yourself before and how would you describe yourself after and lastly I want to encourage you to give praise to God every day. The way that Paul ends this passage in verse 17, he says, after he reflects on who he was, the amazing grace of God, his call to ministry, he says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. River, may you be a beacon of the truth of the gospel in an unashamedly loving way. And may we remember and never forget that Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our Redeemer. And He is the one we come to worship every week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for the men and women and children who comprise this body of Christ. I pray, God, that as we think about what it means to follow you, that we will not forget this amazing grace with which we've been saved. I pray that this salvation that began one moment, whether it's something we can recall or not, there was a time when all of us or some of us or some of us coming for the first time would ever hear of this message. I pray that we will not forget, but remember. And I pray that when we remember, we would bow our heads in thankful adoration. 
And may you give us the courage somehow to share our story with another of this amazing grace of God that saved a sinner just like me. In Jesus' name I pray.